Hi, in this episode of IB Matters, we talk to Angela Jerebek, the founder of the Bar Model, and one of her colleagues at the Bar Center, Hannah Shearer. As all IB educators know, there's much more going on in IB schools than just their respective IB programs. Every school needs strong and collaborative staff dedicated to the success of their students. Angela and her team have created, in the Bar Model, a highly researched and effective set of strategies that is beginning to spread in IB schools and non-IB schools to ensure teachers have the means to identify student concerns and the means also to address them. Listen as we introduce you to this intriguing way to make your school even more responsive to the development of IB principles and practices. Welcome to IB Matters, a podcast for those who currently teach, lead, attend, or are interested in international baccalaureate IB schools. Hi, folks. Welcome back to IB Matters. We're here with uh, some principal members uh, at the Bar Center. And uh, it was interesting, about a month or so ago, I was uh, monitoring my, my social media feeds, including Twitter, and found that one of the school districts here in Minnesota had just announced on via Twitter that they were becoming an entire district uh, in, incorporating the bar model. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what the bar model is, uh, which is kind of funny because I found out after the fact that lots of schools in Minnesota are use, utilizing the bar model. And uh, so we have today uh, with us, we have uh, Angie and Hannah, and uh, they are working at the Bar Center, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves in whatever order they like, and then we'll get into some questions so the rest of you can see the links that the Bar Model has with IB Schools. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for having us today. I'm excited to be here. My name is Angie Cherubek. I'm the Executive Director and the founder of the Bar Center. I'm a licensed K-12 music educator, as well as a school counselor. I've been working with school systems for over 25 years. And real quickly, BAR stands for Building Assets, Reducing Risks. And we work with a little over 180 schools right now across the country. Mm. Hannah? And I'm Hannah Shear. I'm the Strategic Partnership Director um, for BAR. I also run our Gates Network for School Improvement Grant that we have. And my background was special education, and then I was a school counselor, and uh, also happened to be an IB coordinator for a few years as well. Right, and so that'll uh, help us out in our discussion because you've got that strong background. I know Angie has uh, uh, quite a background also with with the IB. In fact, Angie, am I correct? You started at uh, uh, St. Louis Park High School? I sure did, actually. yeah, St. Louis Park is um, where I first started my career, as well as actually where Bar originated. Um, if you don't mind, I'll maybe launch yeah. into that a little yeah, bit. Please do. Sure. So, um, I worked as the ninth grade counselor in St. Louis Park High School, and five years in a row, fifty percent of the ninth graders failed a course. So um, that was difficult to be feeling successful as a counselor when half the kids were failing the class. Um, I went to the administration to actually resign. I'm like, I'm not getting this job done. I know how important it is that kids pass their classes and it's not happening. And I had a great principal who said, the issue is not you. The issue is not our school, that that's actually a national phenomenon. 40 to 50% of ninth graders fail their courses and really encouraged me to come up with another model 
to um, do school. And sometimes when you are young and you don't know things are hard and legacy, <laughs> I'm like, that's a great idea. I should yeah. definitely come up with a, with a new system. And yeah, so you're that an, actually, you're an easy beginning. mark. So yeah. So right. just, you know, Angie, just come up with a whole new educational system. And, exactly. And, yeah, and so you did. Yeah. I did. So that um, is actually where Barr began. And um, we can kind of, you know, talk about it, but it's really, it's a strength-based model and it's really just grounded on two pillars. One is positive intentional relationships. And those relationships need to be staff to student, student to student, and staff to staff. And the other one needs to be data. We need to be transparent about data. So me as a school counselor should not just know how, um, you know, Rob is doing in math. His English teachers should know how Rob's doing in math too. And we have to get better qualitative data. So that was the beginning. It was an IB district and it also was the original side of bar. Yeah. For those that uh, are not from Minnesota, which is the majority of our listeners, uh, St. Louis Park is a uh, first ring suburb just west of Minneapolis that it has been a very strong. I mean, I remember because I was in the same uh, athletic conference growing up myself. And, you know, we always would look at St. Louis Park as being very strong educationally and they became an IB district and continued their reputation. But it's I think it's a good story to share the fact that even though you have this reputation as a great school, you have these issues mm-hmm. and and you're able to kind of get in there and kind of stir the pot and and thank goodness for a great leader that you had to, to empower you to do that. So that's a cool story. No, I totally agree. As well as, yeah, St. Louis Park, I think continues to be um, uh, exemplar. I have incredible fondness for, for St. Louis Park, but I do think it does become, you know, when you dig in, even though a system overall is operating, where is the weak areas and how do you, you know, secure it? And then how to, how transferable is it to other places? But right. yeah, we we'll look forward to hearing more about that. So um, what is, uh, what's the unique, most unique part about the program? So I'll, I'll hit this um, a little bit and then we can, you know, kind of talk about how they also, how it, how it works. You know, I think the fact that it originated in an IB district, you're going to see so many philosophical alignments as well as, you know, kind of systems alignment. So kind of one of the big things about BAR is we have had so much research to be able to show its effectiveness. So there's some undergirding belief systems. One is really believing that the staff there is capable of doing the work. So we really believe strongly that we don't need to replace the staff. We just have to get them being able to use a system that really utilizes their strengths, just like we're utilizing student strengths. So like, Mm -hmm. You need to adopt kind of your belief system. But then I think the other piece is just really having this mobilization of structures in place that you are seeing data in real time, as well as in some ways pushing against um, those beliefs that you may not be aware of. So like I may have a belief or a state that everybody can you know, do well, but then I'll start seeing patterns of data that is showing something different. But then you provide the ability for teams of teachers. So it's really a teacher empowerment model that they need to come up with solutions. And we you know, teach rapid you know, improvement cycles, but it's like, if you've identified the issue, you should be able to come up with a solution. It shouldn't be a top-down approach. Mm-hmm. And how do you, you know, come up with these solutions and then be able to abandon the issue if it isn't working? And if it is working, how do you expand it to, to impact more and more kids? So one of the big things about BAR is we've had $35 million in research, which is part of the reason that we are now in 18 states and D.C., is we've been able to show that this intentional um, 
uh, training. So it's coaching and training, but every school we've worked at has had changes within the first year, average of a 40% failure rate drop, but we've been able to show that students um, attend classes more, discipline goes down, standardized test scores go up. And then a really big thing, especially right now, um, well, always, but in particular right now, we've been able to show that the achievement and opportunity gap are closing. And so the students in particular who are often farthest from opportunity Mm -hmm. are really excelling under this model because of this attentiveness to quantitative and qualitative data. And they're just thriving. So you not only are having them fail fewer classes, we're having them enroll and be successful in more AP and IB courses. So we have this exponential growth of representation of students just really um, showing how talented they are in these really um, incredible classes. So we have randomized control trials, which we can talk about, but we've um, done studies all across the country. AIR, the American Institute of Research has been our evaluator and just been able to show that this model continues to work. Yeah, that's great. And we're going to put some links in the website or in the um, podcast um, notes, and that'll include links to your website. And when I explored through there, I noticed that you've got great links to the research data. So if folks want to learn more about what you're talking about, specifics of, you know, the minutiae, if people like to dig into those things, um, that'll be available to them in the podcast notes. Perfect. Yeah. No. Right. So depending on, on your, on your appetite for data, we have yep. a lot of it. I try to yep. keep it high yep. level in conversation, but no, I, you know, I've done a couple of, I've, I've done a couple episodes that were focused on data, especially specifically with DP exams and uh, they've been well listened to uh, people, okay. people do dig in. So they like that stuff. Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how, you know, you mentioned that it started in an IB school and that, you know, I became aware that it's in a lot of IB schools here in Minnesota, and you just mentioned 18 states in D.C. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about um, about the connections and how that works in IB schools? Hannah, do you, do you want to take that? Do you mind? Yeah, not at all. Um, the interesting thing about BAR is that often people think it's a comp- you know a competition in that IB and BAR wouldn't go together. We either have one program or the other. But BAR really is a model that's, that really supports any program that's happening. And so the piece that I've always found and think that BAR really goes well with IB is the fact that you're looking at the whole child. And IB does such a nice job of really making it student-centered. And students are really at the core of what they're learning and how they're learning. And BAR embraces that as well. And the biggest piece of BAR is really trying to find that relationship. So it allows teachers the time to really get to know those students and what they want to learn and what their strengths and passions are, and then be able to share that as a team. The difference also is often we're in silos and you don't, you may know that information about your students, but I don't know them about the student that maybe frequents my class once, once a day or once a quarter. And so when you are in these cohorts of teacher teams, you have the ability to learn about so many more students and really be able to connect. Some teachers have a better connection with certain students and others, others. And so then you have the opportunity to share and learn. And uh, it really goes well with the model, but also IB in the fact that you're trying to get students to take risks and really learn, learn about a a community and learn, you know, just take their learning broader. And so this is a one way to do it is you already have a relationship. So now I can really push those students to think, think broader and wider. Sure. So as you're speaking, it sounds, and I think it's not the case, but it sounds a little bit like that middle school model of houses. Um, How is it different from that? 
So middle school, you are housed um, often and in bar it is cohorts. So it can be similar that you'll have a group of students that are taking some of their core classes together. And so, you know, a hundred students and you've got them and they would frequent math, usually it's your core. So math, yeah. uh, language arts, and then social studies. And so they would take those classes together and then those teachers would be a small team. And those right. teachers could then talk and share um, data and information about those students. So in a typical school, how many students are involved in the bar model? It really varies. That's the other thing is we are in uh, some schools, we are in a small pocket of the school and in others we're school um, senior high wide. So nine through 12. Okay. We encourage, you know, to try to get as many students in the ninth grade, knowing that's the crucial year and really being able to support there. And then we have, we run the gamut across the country of, you know, how they model it in 10, 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. You know, I add one other piece too, Hannah. Um, that we also are in elementary. And when we're looking for these cohort of of teachers, we both do vertical as well as horizontal teaming. Mm -hmm. So what what our goal is, is we need to have multiple adults in conversation about the student. So we are absolutely flexible in terms of who those adults are. They don't, the kids don't have to travel together. They don't have to be in a kind of a clean environment. pod, but we need to, when we, you know, having these conversations, we ask that, you know, we have the majority of the teachers are having a shared experience with the students. So we're able to say this happened in one, you know, setting, this happened in the other. And, and once again, from an elementary perspective, we are, you know, looking at specialist teachers or once again, you know, kind of up and down in terms of, you know, third, fourth and fifth grade teachers to be able to just have a, a multiple dimension perspective on the student, but we are not, um, at all scripted and how that configuration looks. Sure. So one one uh, question that comes to mind as you talk about the vertical part, it must be a language that you encourage for um, communicating about a student. I mean, the worst case scenario of communication about a student is, oh, watch out for this kid. You know, that kind of thing that kind of I, I saw quite often in my career and I would just run away from those people. But, um, you know, w- what kind of uh, structures have you put in place for that type of teacher communication? Mm-hmm. It's a great question, and, it, and it, it speaks to both our philosophy, but to the structure. So, you know, we have a lot of tools we provide to the schools in terms of, you know, and a lot of training on facilitating of these conversations. Mm-hmm. But one non-negotiable is every conversation has to begin with the student's strength. What is the student's strength, and how is that strength going to be leveraged to continue to have that student be successful? Great. And that feels easy during training and in practice. <laughs> That has shown to be incredibly challenging and oftentimes some of the most um, powerful. So um, I often think of a a story. We have um, have a number of our schools, in particular in California, are just really large settings. And I recall a principal coming to me, and it was about a year after implementation, where he said, I believe, I know that the philosophy of bar has now taken um, kind of root in our school. He said, I had a teacher come up to me in the hallway and said, I know you will not talk to me until I first tell you, (laughs) Jonah's a really strong leader. He's got a lot of people following him. And now I want to talk to you that he has not come to class at all. He's not doing any of assignments and I can't do anything. But the, the, the the teacher knew there would be no conversations that could even begin until you could first name what the strength was. 
and then be able to move from that to, to address right. the issues. So I think that's a notable shift. Yeah. Isn't that one of the, I mean, that's uh, one of the great things about young people is that oftentimes the ones that the teachers have the most uh, concerns about are often some of the strongest individuals uh, in the building and they just need help with directing that to, uh, you know, improving their future <laughs> as opposed to a uh, Taking yes, in a but, different but I will say, and I don't, I mean, I'm um, obviously a lifelong educator. I think that, you know, this, 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 the disruption of how to be thinking about and talking about, you know, these um, young people as well as other educators has to be challenged because just like you talk about that same challenge, you know, having been in schools for a lot, also having people that be like, oh, you know, you know what so-and-so did again. You're like, yeah. how do we start recognizing there are issues? I'm not, you know, at all dismissing them, but how can the conversation be a strength-based conversation that we can actually identify root cause and start moving to some solutions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was a science teacher and a coordinator. So what would, you know, as I find in an IB school with an IB uh, background, what does it look like for me to become a, a bar teacher? So before a bar school takes on bar, they have the summer before they start implementation, they have training. And so the school decides what teachers will participate, but we always, the more the merrier and welcome all core teachers and specialists as well to attend. And the school has also identified a lot like IB, you have identified a coordinator, someone in the building, a staff member already that will sort of oversee the, the project and really help facilitate meetings and um, different pieces of the program. And so you, you have your team. You come to two days of training. Um, I've definitely participated in training where at first, you know, because it's summer, sometimes we're a little disgruntled because we're spending our summer. Yep. Flip-flops um, and shorts. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, air conditioning, hopefully. Yep. And um, teachers start. And so it's two full days learning implementation, but really it's a lot of team building throughout because it's a strength-based model, you're also doing that within each other. Um, and so practicing some of the conversations you would have, hearing how I'm going to facilitate or run meetings, also just practicing talking about students with that strength-based perspective. In an IB um, training, you might hear the learner profiles come out yeah. or some of those other pieces as well. But two days of implementation, and usually by the end of the second day, people are raring to go and ready to ready to take this on, because really it's not adding more to the to their plate. It's more that now I've got the space to have some conversations and to really work together. I also find in trainings in the summer when you have new teachers who are just coming into a building, this almost is a little bit of a mentor model for them because then they know they're not alone and that I am going to be having these weekly meetings with my team talking about our students. Yep. And so it really helps facilitate that relationship as well for new teachers. Sure. So with the, with the nuts and bolts of it, if I come to the summer two days of uh, training, uh, who's there with me? Are, are one of you or other people from, from the center there uh, to run, have, run the training? Yep. Sorry. We do have bar coaches. And so there is a bar trainer and then each school is assigned a bar coach. And we like to make sure that the bar coach who will be facilitating and helping that school is part of the training. So one trainer and one coach, and they come in and 
almost every coach and trainer we have on our team has had some bar experience in their own um, work and or just personal life. And so they come with a lot of stories and experience and they help facilitate the two days. And then that coach is with you throughout your years with bar. So you have ongoing coaching support who's working closely with the coordinator will, um, when we are all back together, will physically come and visit. In this moment, they are doing virtual visits with teams and with sure. the coordinators. So one of the uh, things that I had as an issue for me in my my school, my education or my work was that as an IB coordinator, uh, someone would come in and I won't say bar, but if somebody else would, another organization would come in and say, here's how we're going to, you know, do our discipline model, or this is what we're going to do about you know, teacher um, PLCs and the words IB never came out of their mouth for two days. And it became, you know, people would look at me like, well, are we done with IB now or whatever. So how, talk to me a little bit about how you might approach uh, going into an IB school or IB district. Sure. I'll, I'll go a bit and then um, Hannah, you can kind of talk more. I think one of the things that you're naming right now, because the bar model originated from a school setting, we've tried to avoid those same things because I have been in the back of a whole lot of rooms when people come in to tell me how we're going to do things. So one of the first things that we do is kind of coming in with the belief system that there are many things that are working well. And the last thing we want to do is disrupt any of those things. So our coaches and trainers work with the schools to say, what are the things that you already have in place? So like, how do we leverage those? How will it become pillars of how we're moving forward? As well as even in terms of the issues you're going to address, that goes back to the to the data pieces. You need to have the school needs to be the one to say, here are the things that we want to work on. So the bar model works equally effective, but pointing to here are the things that I want to address. So some schools are very high functioning and they're saying our students, we are concerned about our students' overall health and well-being. They are so stressed out. The anxiety is so high. They're successful, but at what cost? Other schools are, we don't have representation and, you know, we don't have enough black, Latinx and low income students who we know are capable of doing this work in our honors courses. So once again, utilizing this model of leveraging our strengths and having this be in place and knowing this works, but having it be appropriate for the school. So not being that outside organization to say, we're going to come in and redo something that, by the way, was working completely fine for you is something that we're very, very careful about. Yeah. So the IB coordinator in the building is not responsible for drawing the connecting the dots. It's it's a teamwork uh, thing to help, um, you know, build on the asset of having an IB program. But then, like you said, I, I like to hear the fact that you may be underrepresented groups might be your goal uh, or just trying to uh, make sure more people in the building uh, realize how, say, the learner profile can be a part of the building assets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. So the district that um, that I've kind of got turned on to what bar was was South St. Paul, which is a, a unique uh, district in that it's uh, it's relatively small it has one high school and one middle school, but it um, and two elementaries, I believe, but they um, they decided to go all bar, uh, mm-hmm. in other words, K-12. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting, as you were talking about it being introduced in ninth grade to fit the model of, you know, helping keep those ninth graders from falling through the cracks. Now you're working with just like IB does pedagogically appropriate, uh, you know, education for all grade levels. It must be different. And how do you do that differently at different grade levels? Sure. Um, I, I think the, 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 the piece that you're, you're naming is when you are 
putting these structures and systems in place, what we made appropriate, you know, adaptations for the different grade levels, the research we initially started with was really around that ninth grade level. What happened was district leadership as well as staff was like, one of the things I haven't really called out here is staff love this model. So we have consistently had, you know, the, the surveys are really high. We've had a lot of union support, especially in California, but the schools and the, the, the adults feel empowered and they're seeing real results from the students. So the schools are like, we should just do this, you know, K-12. So we really spent a number of years in particular prior to going to the elementary level. So we just started going to elementary two years ago and we're working in just two schools in Minnesota. And then, um, having this philosophical belief we find is just really helpful as well as structurally. So if you know that this is the way that all the schools are operating, it's, you know, incredibly, um, it, it just adds more strength as we kind of move forward. Hannah, are there other things you want to talk about in terms of our, our inaugural first IV district? I think the thing that we're noticing with the going I in a full district is also just those transitions, you know, the transitions between each school, um, year and how we had talked to earlier, like teacher may know a student go, oh gosh, you know, this kid's coming my way. But in the same breath, then this is also somebody who's going to be able to have a teacher who already had a relationship with that family mm-hmm. and also has the knowledge of what strengths that student holds. And then the transition between elementary to middle and middle to high school is that much smoother. Um, the other piece is that we do have a social emotional curriculum and part of BAR and teachers facilitate that. And so it's a little different than a teacher teaching it, but more that they're part of the conversation and sharing about themselves as they're also learning about their students. And so what that looks like at the high school, senior high level, you know, um, is one way where the students are definitely spending a lot more time um, sharing and the teacher can participate. We're at the elementary school, we're bringing in Um, literacy and some other pieces as well so that students are learning from stories but then also able to share their story with their teachers as well Mm -hmm. you know what uh, you mentioned the parents or families Um, how were the parents reacted to this I can jump in. I actually have a 10th grader who's at a bar school. And as a parent, it's amazing to have a teacher share about your child and truly know your child. Mm -hmm. Often you have a teacher who will compliment or know a piece, but really doesn't have a a clearer picture. And so I have a student, you know, my child, you know, isn't her academics is not always her strength. And so for the Spanish teacher to know that math is difficult and to give her encouragement and share is incredible. And I know that we see that from other families as well um, across the country is just families being excited that their teachers know about them. Mm -hmm. And especially during this time where families can't be in a building, families can't connect with teachers in the same way. A lot of our bar teachers are sending positive postcards, sending these positive videos for the family so that the families are participating and also hearing about the successes and the strengths the kids have. Um, So I think bar teachers do a really nice job of trying to keep families engaged and aware of what's going on. That's cool. Yeah. And, you know, you put that and if you pair that in an IB school with the way we use uh, criterion reference assessments and things, you know, that we've always talked about that was one of the pluses in talking with parents in an IB school is that the teachers know, you know, down to, you know, fairly 
post details to where the strengths are and what the next rung on the ladder would be for a student. So it's cool to hear that you have, you know, this, this cross-disciplinary knowledge of the student. And, you know, I can think of students in my life too, that that, that would be really helpful to hear that, uh, that uh, deep knowledge of the student. It's such a, that relationship is so important and it's cool that it goes on to their parents as well. One thing I was going to ask you, and I think it's probably for Angela, um, is I was looking at the different grade levels and things. And, you know, this might be a little bit out of left field, but I think it is kind of, uh, it's it's relevant to the to the discussion is that, so we're going to be talking about kind of the research results, but I also want to hear a little bit, maybe Angela is kind of where you started with this, because I'm guessing as a young uh, teacher, I'm no, I don't want to take any credit away from you, but you probably didn't reinvent this entirely from the ether. Did you did you have some research basis or some things you looked at that say, hey, this seems to be the way I should go? Yes, actually, um, absolutely. So it was, you know, kind of, you know, twofold. A, I was recently out of, you know, my master's program and, yeah. you know, very familiar with the, the middle school model in terms of, you know, having at least a structure in place, may not have had it processed or, um, you know, kind of those other pieces, but there was at least that, that middle school model, but I was absolutely using all of the best practices at the time when I saw the 50% failure rate. So, you know, I was monitoring a group of students that were identified as high risk and lo and behold, I'd hold those kids together, but this whole other group fell apart. So I was very familiar with, you know, the, the research of, of, of the time. I will say it was incredibly um, helpful. Um, St. Louis Park, once again, had so many incredibly talented teachers that when I brought the data to them too, and they were able to see it, were able to also kind of help say, if I knew, if I could, you know, if I had a way to, that was able to really help um, develop the model from in particular the educator's lens in terms of knowing that the staff was plenty talented as well as completely committed to this and we just could not get a system in place that you know um, was able to really serve the kids so um, prior to the origination that both was the case but then you know we the bar center um, really has both stayed very apprised of, you know, current um, research as well as contributed to the, you know, the research. So yeah. one of the things that in particular people really questioned was, could intentional relationships be a strong enough lever to actually change standardized test scores? And so like in terms of our data, we use the NWA map and, you know, basically had less than a year in terms of a pre-post test and we're able to show that yes and behold, that relationship from staff to student as well as staff to staff you know, with the structure in place was able to show that, you know, you learn more and kids are able to demonstrate more. So, but I think that contribution to the field that BAR has been able to provide has really helped other organizations be able to lean into those types of things. But um, it was a long-winded answer, but no, that's, <laughs> the short answer is yes. Well, yeah, no, that's great. And I, I you know, I, I kind of wanted to take a, a bit of a, a long trip over to that question just because, um you know, I was telling you and you know, before we got recording and so on that, that we you know most of our listeners are actually not in North America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how global you're going to end up going. But, uh, you know, I've got uh, lots and lots of listeners in Asia, in particular, uh, South Asia and Asia and Australia. And 
So as, as people are kind of looking at, okay, what did she do? How did she, you know, how did this go? And then also culturally, um, IB obviously is global with many different cultures involved. It's, it has a way of, of uh, making its, its stamp in all these different countries, but always with the flavor of the local community and the local culture. And so if, if someone is listening um, and, and is thinking, oh, I wonder, I wonder how she did that and how I could do that in my own place. Um, you know, I'm half a world away from, from the twins, from Minnesota and, and the U S um, what could we do? And so I, I think it's encouraging uh, and, and empowering to people to kind of hear that you were able to start with kind of this seed of an idea and a problem to deal with. And with good support, you were able to create this, which appears to me to be quite a successful uh, operation and, and uh, model that is, is being replicated in many, many places. Absolutely. And if people do go on our website, we actually did a series of webinars for the UK this fall. So um, we've had a fair amount of interest as of late. Yeah. And so they, we were asked to facilitate three 90-minute webinars. And we did one on student to student, one on student to staff, and one on staff to staff. And we had schools from across the United States participate with us. Um, I believe they're actually just going up on our website um, this week. So they should be up by the time this podcast airs. But um, we were able to, and so we had some nice participation from um, people in the UK, but um, that, that crossover of, because the model really is trying to um, identify what the, the issues and barriers are, there are some that are absolutely international, but the system and model, there, there seems to be a lot of interest um, on how that can be equally used um, overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um so tell us, why don't you talk about a couple of the, your, your favorite data points that have shown your results to be uh, so strong. I sure will. And I love the fact that you say my, my favorite data points. Um, I think one of the things that's very unique about BAR is the amount of research we've had. So we've had 20 years of research. And this, once again, has been funded largely through big federal grants. So what we've been able to do is do within a school a randomized control trial. So because our work is training and coaching the adults, we've gone to 12 different schools in settings all across the country. So like big bureaucratic schools. So like in Dallas and Baltimore, California, as well as smaller rural schools in rural Maine, um, rural Appalachia. And we've done these randomized control trials where students are randomly assigned. It's balanced to a bar teacher and a control teacher. And at the end of the year, we're able to assess how do the students do. And once again, with this intentionality of, of these, um, these interventions, the, the big things for me goes back to why we did this in the first place is students pass more classes. So on, rate, on, on average, failure rate drops about 35% within the first year. So just right away, teachers are able to identify the issue, remedy the issue, and students are able to pass those classes. They keep themselves on track. I think another really big one, which I had referenced before, is we have really strong effect sizes, um, really strong outcomes for our Black, Latinx, and low-income students. So to have a model that's impacting everyone, but in particular, having the largest impact on the students that we know are farthest from opportunity is something that is, is really near and dear to my heart. And then I think the other kind of um, um, favorite data point is the fact, you know, we're, we're in the What Works Clearinghouse four times, but we're also in Evidence for ESSA five times. And what's interesting about Evidence for ESSA for me is they list us as a math strategy for all students, a math strategy for struggling students, 
a ELA strategy for all students, an mm. ELA strategy for struggling students, and an SEL strategy for all students. So to have wow. the same model that does the same thing, have so many disparate outcomes, I think also just shows like the, the power and the um, impact that, that teachers have when they're able to, you know, kind of organize themselves in this way that our overall, you know, climate's better and math is better for everybody and the students that we're targeting and same for English. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, you must be very happy with the this uh, idea that started, you know, over twenty years ago, and and how it's grown and what its uh, what its results and, and impact has been uh, over a broad area. So, congratulations to you and the whole team. Yes, that's very exciting. Yeah, well, that's great. So, uh, what's been going on this last year? Now that we've been, you know, we're coming up almost on a year of of um, of um, modified teaching and learning, where many many students are. Uh, at home, or there are, um, you know, hybrid situations, and it's it's a global phenomenon. And actually, the last handful of podcasts have all included some interesting um, kind of ideas about what to do with that. Yeah, I what what happened for for us in in terms of a number of things is our work became even more looked to as um, based on our research, based on our practices, as well as based on the community. So. Just like we build relationships within our schools, our schools are a very tight network. So our schools had worked really closely together in the team. So when, you know, some of our schools were hit with the pandemic earlier and, you know, New York and different places, that information on what they did, how they navigated it was, you know, they were sharing. We have facilitated um, professional learning communities that we were holding weekly. We had over 300 participants, you know, occurring, attending during the week to be able to, make sure that our schools were getting what they needed. But this idea of building relationships and data has, in anything, just really this time has shown how critical that is. So that, you know, first of all, you know, how do you broker those relationships, even if we're not physically together? And then data, if you do not have your traditional data sources, working with the schools to be like, what data do you have? And we've got to grab that data so we can be able to have a guidepost to move forward. So that's been just critical. Hannah, anything else you want to add to that one? You know, I think as I had shared before, it's just also just the the amount of creativity that um, our coaches are using with um, the coordinators and these teams has been incredible. But obviously all over the country, schools are doing amazing things to try to reach out to their students and keep that motivation high. And so the network has been amazing for that as well, is just the opportunity to be able to share and highlight. We do try to do quite a bit on our social media right now Mm -hmm. of just what are our schools doing to engage their community and families and kids, because we know everyone's trying so hard to keep that energy there and to just keep, you know, the motivation engagement. So the network's been great for that. Yeah. You know, since I started kind of became aware of, of what you were doing, uh, I've started following you and, you, and, and at Bar Center is your Twitter handle. Same with your Facebook. Uh, you've got a YouTube channel. And so, of course, your website. So links for those will all be in the um, in the podcast notes. But people can kind of, you know, now that they've heard a little bit about you, they can start to learn more about you in whatever way works best for them. Uh, speaking of which, you know, I kind of, as I found out, you know, I just heard about South St. Paul and then I found out that school after school, um, in the twin cities area here in Minnesota, uh, have been involved. How are people finding out about you and are you finding it kind of lands in one school in an area and then kind of grows from there in a cluster or how does the, how's your growth worked? Um, yes. 
so um, I want to say our, our, our growth is, is um, just now, like from this incredible opportunity to be able to share our work, we've just started this. So the first 17, 18 years of our work really was research. So we only were working with schools if they met kind of a very tight demographic that we needed to be able to do the research. Yep. And then it was about two or three years ago that um, we are like, this research is ironclad. I mean, we are continuing to be tested. And so, you know, other schools that don't want to participate in research, you know, can just adopt the model and, you know, come on and not be part of a, a research study. But that growth really has occurred um, word of mouth. So, you know, when we went to, we did one study in, um, in Kentucky, and then they shared it with a number of their friends. And that's kind of how our growth happened there is, as well as we started off with one school in rural Maine, and now we have a bar school in every county in the state of Maine. Wow. And that has absolutely occurred from word of mouth to people just sharing with each other. So, well, thank you very much to uh, Angie and Hannah for spending time with us here today to hear about, about the bar model. And um, I'm sure IB schools listening are going to find that, hey, there's some cool ideas in here. And uh, like I said a couple times, please go to our podcast notes to connect with them. Uh, their website, actually pretty simple. It's thebarcenter.org, B-A-R-R, center.org. Um, and you can look it up. And um, But otherwise, there's additional links to their blogs and videos and some of the research that they've got uh, listed there. So uh, thank you both for your time today. Thank you. For thank you so much for having us. Great conversation. Thanks so much. You can learn much more about the bar model using links in our podcast notes. Now that we have over 50 Ivy Matters episodes covering a range of topics, you can use the podcast webpage, which is organized by program and by topic. The link to the website is in our podcast notes. Also, we want to call your attention to the official IB organization podcast called IB Voices. Each episode is interesting and it has practical information to share from experts across the IB continuum. Please find all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe so you don't miss any future programs. Follow us on Twitter at MattersIB. Also, help us spread the word about IB by liking, sharing, and reviewing the IB Matters links in your own feeds and social networks. In just over a year, we've been heard in over 140 countries, a testament to the global reach of the IB.